is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Janice. I am one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. Um, our senior pastor is en route, and uh, he is flying back from the Dominican Republic where he did a lot of teaching this week. And so um, his, uh, he's already been in contact with us and been praying over our services here today. He launched a series last week that we call This we believe, and, uh, and so I'm pleased to be able to give you uh, week two, uh, the second edition of this particular uh, series. So last week, we considered this we believe about God. We really looked at our faith and what it means uh, to step out, to risk in faith. And uh, this morning, I want to take us back a little bit. If you have been a part of our community for a while, you went through Starting Point that you heard John talking about. We offer that on the first Sunday of every month during the second service. And when you go to that, you... Um, kind of hear a little bit about the history of who we are. We're celebrating 10 years this particular summer. But 10 years ago, this, what I'm getting ready to read to you is what God gave our pastor as, as the mission statement of what it was that we are getting ready to do as a church or what we were getting ready to do. Now, what I love about this is it's a little bit like a, a marriage vow. In other words, when people get married, they stand up here and they say, I will do this, I will do that, I will do the next thing. They haven't done any of it yet, right? But they're announcing their intention. And, and when I get to the chance to teach Starting Point, what is so moving to me at this stage of the game is not only did we say those things 10 years ago, but we have now done those things. And it continues to be uh, the mission of where we're going. So um, just, you don't have to read it with me, but read along as I, as I go through what God gave to him 10 years ago. We will be a church saved by grace, motivated by love, and defined by service. We are looking for the lost, the lonely, and the broken. As a community, we want to bring the good news of God's restoration to the poor, the broken, and hurting people of our community, and even our world. It will be our goal to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and heal the sick as we journey together. We will intentionally gather together to worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We will intentionally disperse to take the message of heaven to the poor and the rich, to our friends and to our enemies, we will strive to be people of peace and prayer and let active love be the evidence that we are here. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the poor. I want to talk to you about what, it, what we believe God has asked us to do in regards to the poor. Many years ago, before uh, my husband was even in ministry, uh, we were living in a, a small town in Ohio. We had several children at that point. We had three, I think, of the five that we eventually had living in a really tiny house. And if you don't know uh, uh, any of my husband's hobbies, one of them, among many, is falconry. Uh, he's a master class falconer, and he flew hawks and falcons for years and years and years. And it was not uncommon back in the days before cell phones that after he would get off of work, wherever he was working at the time, he would take his bird out and he would fly it for a while and he would come in. And, and there were friends that he had met that, through that circle that I didn't always know. One particular evening, 
Uh, I had fixed supper. I knew he was going to be probably late because if his bird chooses to go up in a tree and roost, it, you know, he'd be out there calling it forever, trying to get it back down. And it, you have to understand falconry to know how that works. But at any rate, um, it was not uncommon for him to be late. I'd already fed the children. I had saved a plate back for him. I was waiting for him to come in the door. And he came in with a man behind him. And, uh, and he said, hey, this is my friend Jim. Um, and um, I just uh, invited him to come in for supper. Uh, can you make another plate for him? And I'm like, sure. You know, I just imagined that it was a falconry friend. And, uh, and so I greeted him graciously and set everything down and, and on the table and he ate with us. And after, you know, we visited a while, he said, uh, uh, by the way, I told Jim that it, it, he's on his way to somewhere. And uh, I told him he could use the shower if he wanted. Can you just make sure that we've got towels? And I said, sure. So I gave him uh, a towels. And, and then he said, uh, by the way, um, he'd also like to do a load of clothes. Now it's getting weird. I don't really know what's going on. But, you know, I, so maybe they got really muddy out there. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. So he does close. By the end of the evening, I figured out what, or he fessed up. It, it, it was not a falconry friend. He had picked this guy up hitchhiking on the road. And he let me know that this guy was going to be staying the night. And I was like, really? And uh, at that point, I brought all the children into our bedroom. And uh, we had a camp out on the floor in our, in our bedroom. And, uh, you know, and, and this gentleman spent the night with us. Uh, we locked our door. We aren't stupid. But, um, you know, I was like, we don't know if he's an axe murderer. I have no idea. But I was so aware at this point of my own prejudice. You know, I mean, I have a certain kind of hospitality that I will give to you if I think you are a friend of someone that I love. But if I don't know you and uh, if I think that maybe you have made poor choices and you are, you know, hitchhiking down the road and I have judged where you are economically or whatever, I have this, this thing toward the poor that, that God really wants to deal with. It's like, what is that? What are those excuses? It's not that we're not going to be generous, but what, is the, what are those things? Now, I'm not telling you to be stupid, and I'm not telling you to, to, to not discern and to be careful. I'm sure law enforcement people in here would emphasize that. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am saying, do we need to take stock of how we really feel about the poor? Because Jesus told us to reach those people. And what does that look like for us today? Now, this we believe. God has instructed us to remember the poor. Now, the poor come in different categories, right? And, and, and Jesus and God speak about this in, in different ways throughout Scripture. We are, we are instructed to care for our brothers in the church. The needy within our midst, we are to, to take care of. We are to, to watch out for people who are in need. I love it when a small group comes and tells me that somebody in their in their uh, group has had a rough go of it financially, and they took up a little offering and, and took care of the tires for this particular person. I'm like, oh, that is amazing. But if it's beyond the ability of your little group to handle it, you know, let the leadership know if we need to be involved in caring for the people within our midst. We are told to care for our neighbors, right? We're doing a neighboring study in our small group right now. And so my small group has already heard that story I just told because I shared it the other night there that, you know, who is our neighbor? Who is it that we are avoiding or we've already gotten disgruntled over because of some mowing 
thing or a dog. I'm telling you, pets are the demise of neighbor relations, right? Or um, God has also encouraged us to remember the stranger or the alien. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but I'm telling you, God has always instructed us to care for people who do not share the benefits of citizenship. Right? The Hebrews were told to do that. Jesus demonstrates that very well. What does that mean for us? How do we care for people who are the alien and the stranger among us? And then finally, how do we give to the poor, to the needy in a general sense? What is it that God wants us to do in that way? Jesus started his ministry with the poor. Right after his, his initial uh, baptism, he goes out into the wilderness where he is tempted for 40 days. And when he comes back, according to Luke, the book of Luke, his very first activity after he starts ministry was to go to the temple and teach on this topic. And this is what happens. He walks into the temple. Someone hands him a scroll. There's only so many scriptures available to him at this point. We, there's no written Bible, but they did have scrolls from the prophets and the law. And this is what he read. Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Some versions say captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the launch of his ministry. This is the launch of what he is doing. And then he lived it out. Jesus moved among the poor. He moved among the poor. He also moved among the rich, but he moved among the, which, which lots of people would have been happy to do. It's a, it's a little more humbling to move among the poor, whatever economic status Jesus was. I can argue with you, you know, 15 ways about whether or not he was really as poor as everybody thinks he is, but he lived it out. He had a pattern of touching the poor. He had a pattern of touching the lepers, the outcasts of society, people that are being avoided, someone who is unclean, the unclean woman who reaches and touches his robe, right? Uh, the blind beggars that are on the side of the road. I would suggest to you that they are not only poor in resources if you're begging, but they are poor in their health. At the same time, he moved among those people. He touched those people. And he had a pattern of giving to the poor. He had a pattern of giving to the poor. And you may think, oh, really? When did, when did Jesus give to the poor? Do you remember the story of a woman who brings out a bottle of perfume and anoints Jesus with it, and uh, somebody in his midst complains about that? Judas. Judas goes, wait a minute. Why, that bottle was worth a year's wages. I don't know about you. I don't have perfume that expensive. A year's wage in a bottle of perfume, and she poured it out on him. And, and Judas is practical. Why didn't we sell that and give the money to the poor? Clearly, there was a pattern among Jesus' disciples that they would give regularly to the poor. The second example I have of that is at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, when they're asking, you know, who's the person who's going to betray you, Jesus? And he's like, you know, the one I give the bread to. They still didn't figure that out. And then Judas gets up and leaves. And as he leaves, the, one of the Gospels records that the disciples didn't really think anything of it. They assumed that Judas had gone out per Jesus' instructions to give to the poor, to give money to the poor. 
Now, let me set something very straight right here, right now. This is not tithing, okay? This is not a message on tithing, and this is not a tithing issue. A tithe is a, is a calculable amount. It is a, a percentage of the monies that we bring in, and Jesus did that too. He took money to the temple, to the place of worship where they engaged. That's where that money went. This is a whole different animal. When you're giving money generously to the poor, that's a, different, that's a different pocket. That's a different pocket of your money. And, it, and, it, and if you don't have margin in your life, if you have like lined everything up so much, you don't have any margin for the poor. You don't have, you don't have that extra giving to, to bring out. And so that's what he's talking about there, that it's not the same. So when, and Jesus would say often, when you give to the needy, do this or that. So there's, a, you've heard me say this before, there's at least three different kinds of giving. The tithing, which is a percentage, the generous giving that we give to the poor as we see the need arise, and then the third thing, which I believe was the pouring of the, of the perfume on Jesus, which is sacrificial giving. When you dip into your retirement savings, when you dip into stuff that you've been holding away for a, a, a rainy day, when you pull that out, that's sacrificial giving. That's a whole different, different level. But here is the deal. I think it's important for us to recognize that Christians do not have a corner on the market for remembering the poor. Frankly, non-Christians are a little better at this than us sometimes. I don't know about you, but that steps on my toes when I think about it. Have you all heard of the Tom's company, the shoe company? There, you just, uh, that, and the idea there is they make shoes, and it's not a, a non-profit, it's a for-profit company. They make shoes that you pay a price that seems exorbitant for the shoe, but it is a buy one, give one, or one-to-one -one model that they use, and their, their tagline is, when you buy a pair of our shoes, we're going to give a pair away to someone in need, usually in a third world country, and they go in and do shoe drops. And they, and they drop that off. There are lots of companies that have picked up that thing, and they're not Christian companies. Warby Parker. Um, and those, that's what I have on right now. You can get those. where It's a, a buy one. You're paying a little more than probably it costs to make them. And then somebody else is going to get free glasses besides that. There, I, I looked it up. There's a whole bunch of these kind of things. Bombas is a sock company that does it. All these different things. And these are not people that are Christians. Sympathy and empathy are human traits that come from Jesus. They come from Jesus. And people have them sometimes in higher degrees than those of us who claim to follow Christ. And that's an unfortunate sort of thing. People give because they have a heart and a soul. And I would suggest to you that one of the very first footprints that we made in this community was on this basis of compassion or giving away things. You can call it outreach. You can call it compassion. Whatever it is, we became known very quickly for giving stuff away. Think of the many opportunities we give you throughout the year, right? At Thanksgiving, we're going to give away meals, food, right? At Christmas, we have given away uh, different things, but most lately, we have been giving away beds to children who do not have beds to sleep in, and that's been an amazing outreach. We have had hope on the go bags for the homeless that you can take out and just hand out the window of your car and help somebody who is in 
need. Uh, Baby Bottle Blessings is coming up soon. That's our effort to help fund the Pregnancy Help Center in town for people who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy and, and are being tempted with ending that pregnancy. And we just want to help those people with resources that they need that will help them make good decisions. Um, most recently here, we have done the shoes for Kirksville. Lots of opportunities that we have given you. Because you know what? Vineyard was founded on some of this. John Wimber, one of the guys who gave a a direction and structure to the early vineyard movement 50 years ago, said, you know, you can be a part of us, but you have to remember the poor. I want you to remember the poor because we believe that that is foundational to who we are. But here, it's great to just remember the poor because it's kind of in vogue. It's kind of popular to, to remember the poor. But we have to take generosity one step further. We're not just meeting a need. We offer resources to the poor in Jesus' name. We offer resources to the poor in Jesus' name. That is something that Tom's is not doing. That is something that Warby Parker is not doing. That is something that Bombas is not doing. We are the ones who are able to do that. Listen to this scripture. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means um, lose his reward. In the King James, it reads, if you give a cup of water in my name. And I love that. When you get back to the original language of this word that is translated name, it means the essence. For the Hebrew people, your name was tied to your character. It is tied to your presence. And so when we pray over people in Jesus' name, we're praying his presence on you. That's powerful. That is powerful. When we give to people and we, and we are giving something in his name, a name is inseparable from that person to whom it belongs. We are not merely offering relief from thirst, hunger, poverty. We are offering the presence of Jesus by invoking his name. And we are called to do that. Because see, it, remembering the poor is not about, it's not about equity. It's not about equity. If poverty could be ended, now, now hear me carefully on this. I think way too many people have used this verse as an excuse. The poor you will always have with you. So, eh. You know, it's not going to make a dent anyway. It doesn't really matter. You're going to have the poor with you. No, that is the opposite of what that means. This is not about equity. If giving to the poor was about making everybody equal, then there would be some dollar amount that we could shoot for that would be the number. We would, we would need the number that worked for third world countries and all of us, and we would be working to get everybody to that number. And, and theoretically, you could calculate how to get there. You could set a target date. You could say by the year 2050, we are going to be an equitable society. Everybody is going to be at this particular... No, that is not the thing. When Jesus says the poor is always going to be with you, he's saying it's going to be a regular spiritual practice for you. You're never going to achieve that. You're never going to meet every single need. So get, get cracking. Get cracking right now because it's going to be big. It is insurmountable, but that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It means that it is a regular part of our spiritual practice. This we believe, that we are to offer resources in Jesus' name. So giving to the poor is not novel. It's not a new idea. And again, non-believers get it. It's an issue of motivation. 
Why do we reach out? Because we are, we are bringing in Jesus. We are, we are proclaiming the good news to the poor. I was thinking about this in terms of our last outreach that we did to Kirksville Elementary. And uh, you know this verse. Let me read this out of Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, that your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, this is a touchy sort of thing, right? Because we do celebrate as a body of believers what we have done together, what we have given in Jesus' name. But what we did not do was put a little tag inside of every pair of shoes that we gave to Kirksville Elementary. It said, from the vineyard. It's from the vineyard. Remember the vineyard, we just gave you stuff. But you know what I wish we had to put in there? And doggone it, if we do it again, I'm going to push for this. I wish we'd put a tag in there that said, these shoes are from Jesus. When some little child gets those shoes, and they don't know why they're getting those shoes, and they don't know why somebody has decided that they needed to be given those, that they reached in there and they read that, or they knew that, or their parents knew, these shoes came because there is a God in heaven who loves them and sees their need. That's the difference between just doing a shoe drop and doing something in the name of Jesus. I think we can work toward that. So what keeps us from reaching out to people in need? I think we have tons of excuses. I think the very least of the excuses are, well, who are the poor? You know, I don't know. How do we, how do we decide who those are? Because there are people who are poor in spirit. They really need hope. There are people who are poor in health. They really need healing. There are people who are poor in economy. Those are people who need resources. All of them need a savior. We can preach God's name to everyone. But if people are poor in spirit, it's easy to say, don't worry, be happy. You know, we can offer that. If people are poor in health, it's easy to type out praying, whether we did it or not. Praying. But if people are poor in resources, it involves our pocket. It involves what we've got, and it costs us something. So look with me at the scripture that I really want to use this morning to get this across. John 6, 1 through 14. It's a familiar passage. It's a familiar story, but I wanted to use it just piece by piece, and let's work our way through it and see what I think God has to say to us this morning. John 6, 1 through 14. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. There are a few things that happened before this, but he has been out uh, preaching and people are following him. He's just found out about John the Baptist. And um, it says, on the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him there because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples because the Jewish Passover was near. Now, what I'm setting you up for here is the feeding of the 5,000, if you've ever heard of that. What I want to get to is the idea of why these people are here. People are here following him because they have seen the signs and they've seen him healing the sick. And according to some of the other gospel writers, um, they are coming for his teaching. 
All right? Now, they're following him along, and now time is getting late, and there's no food trucks nearby. And they're rather far. They're in a remote place. They're too far away to do anything or to get food. And the disciples in another account are saying, Jesus, don't we want to send these people away so they can go and get some food because we can tell people are hungry. And, and you know, and what are we going to do out here? Frankly, we'd like them to all go away. The people who had been following him for healing and teaching now find themselves in a remote area far from the immediate needs that they have. And I want to say to you that sometimes our search for healing takes us so far off the beaten path that God ends up answering a need that we didn't even know we had. We're chasing something else. We're chasing something else, and then we find ourselves depleted in these other areas, and that's where God is going to do something absolutely miraculous for these people and I want you to know if you are someone who finds yourself getting so tunnel vision on something that you want and you need that you are getting depleted in other areas, God sees you. God sees you and he wants to meet that need and he might even do it in a supernatural way. Watch out. Carrying on, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, there is so much to love here. There is just so much to love here. First of all, feeding the people is a given. According to Jesus, there's no question about whether we're going to feed the people. Feeding the people is a given. You know what the big problem is when we're remembering the poor? It's how. How are we going to do that? We get it, Jesus. We know you want us to take care of these folks. We know you want us to feed these people. How do we do this, right? Giving to the needy is in our DNA, but that's our current struggle. What's the best way to help the people who call into the church every week that want help with their utilities? They want help with their groceries. They need a place to stay for the night because they've stayed too long at the Salvation Army. They would uh, like somebody to pay down their debt. What is the thing that we should do to be most helpful to these people? And Philip's wondering the same thing. And and he's going, I don't know. And what he's saying is the first thing that comes to his mind is the first thing that comes to our minds is it's going to be expensive. <laughs> it's going to cost a lot, Jesus. Now, here's what I love about Philip. He is a pragmatist. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, I'd take half a year's wages. We ain't got that. He never says they don't have it. He never says that. And in another gospel account, this is actually what he says. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we, um, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Unless we go buy food. I would suggest to you that they're sitting on a pretty healthy pocket of cash, a, a money bag of some sort. And he's wondering about the wisdom of spending that for this account, how many of us have half a year's wage saved up in anything, right? Or even as an organization, that, that they have that kind of funds that they're willing or able to tap. It's, it's crazy. And yet he's saying, is this good stewardship? What I'm challenging us with today is we are just managing the resources God gave us. They're not really ours. 
they belong to someone else. It really doesn't matter whether you think it's wise or not. If God is telling you to give to someone, we have to listen to that. If he's telling you to dig deep, we have to dig deep for whatever those needs are that we see there. And that is not poor stewardship. Stewardship is doing with our funds and our resources exactly what the master requires of us. And getting in tune with that is important because here's the deal. It's going to be mind-blowing. I was looking for a more current term than that, but I don't have it. They are unprepared for what God is about to do in their midst. And I can just see Jesus' eyes twinkling a little bit because he already knows. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far is that going to go among so many? Now, hold up. I have so many questions, right? If there are that many people in this place, why did only one child think to pack a snack? (laughs) Seriously, one kid has the forethought? Uh, First of all, I want to know where his mama is. I want to know how old he is. Is he five? Is he 10? Is he 15? How old is this child who's packed it? And who packs a lunch of who needs five loaves? I mean, even if they're little red lobster biscuits, you know what I'm saying? That's five biscuits and two little fish. I mean, that's a, that's a healthy snack for somebody, you know? So either his mama or he is smart enough to pack way extra. I can't figure out. I want to know why he is there. Why as a child is he there? Is he there to get healing from Jesus? Is this a child who could understand Jesus' teaching and is following along because he wants to, to, to cash in on the teaching? And then this is my big question. Did he offer up his snack? Or was he sitting there and Andrew confiscates it? Think about that. You know, I want to know, is Andrew the hero, a hero of this story or is he mean? I don't, I don't know what Andrew's doing here. I can't decide. And then he takes this food and he hands it up to Jesus. And, and, and I don't know what he's saying. I don't know if he's saying, Jesus, this is all we got. It is helpless. We got no hope. It is, it is hopeless. We do not have enough food here for everybody. Or is he saying... Jesus, this is all we have. It's a start. It's a start. Does he have that kind of faith? Is he that hero? Is he that one who sees while Philip the pragmatist is up there doing math? There's so many math guys among the disciples. We already have Matthew, who's a tax collector. We've got Judas, who keeps track of the money. Now you've got Philip, who's counting all the time. And, and then Andrew, who's like, here's a start. How far will this go? That's intriguing to me. Remembering the poor is a daunting, daunting task. But this we believe, and this is my second point, and I only have two points today. None of us can do it all, but all of us can do something. None of us can put an end to poverty, but all of us can do something. When the task is too far in front of us, it doesn't mean that we just keep things in our pockets. It means that we offer them up. You know, Oprah Winfrey cannot solve all the problems in Africa. Bless her heart for using much of her fortune to attempt it, but I think it demonstrated to her and everybody else that it's a daunting task. When New Orleans was devastated, there were lots of stars who came out and threw tons of money that direction. Ellen DeGeneres, Brad Pitt, people who had a, a, a connection 
connection to that town, and they couldn't fix it all. They couldn't rebuild everything that had been lost in those floods, right? It's a daunting, daunting task. We're not going to be able to solve it either, but we do not use these excuses to do nothing. We don't use these excuses. And some of the excuses are, well, the poor are just really bad managers. If they'd manage their stuff better, you know what? We are poor managers if God invites us to use his money to help them and we don't do it. We're just as poor a manager if we do not do what God has asked us to do to the person that he's put in front of us. You'd say, well, I don't want to enable that person. Jesus was straightforward with people. Here is your healing. Go and sin no more. I'm going to help you right now. Don't do this again. As a matter of fact, these, these 5,000 that eat the bread in this particular event, the next day they come back. And you know what Jesus says? You just want bread. And he doesn't feed them again. He doesn't give them the next thing. He was looking for the people that he could, he could help, and then he would tell them what they needed to do. And he's not using that as an excuse not to help them. But he also didn't start an enabling situation either. And we can't sit around and use the excuse that the need is so great and whatever I do doesn't make a difference. Last year on Mother's Day, we did something intriguing here. We did for one what we wish we could do for all. We started with some seed money out in a bucket and we had to drive the bucket and with everyone's efforts, we were able to put together nearly $10,000 and we purchased uh, an SUV, a used SUV, for a single mother in this community, not even in our church, but a single mother in this community who had lost her children to the foster system and was working her plan and was on track to get her child back and a job and her license. We found out that she couldn't even drive the car. We had to wait until she got her license before we could give it to her. We were able to gift one person with a car, with insurance for six months, and with gas cards that probably lasted her a year. Amazing. Amazing. We did for one what we wish we could do for all. We did that locally. This year on Mother's Day, we're not doing that. This year on Mother's Day, we're going to think globally. Next week, Vineyard, um, not Vineyard, Compassion International is going to be with us. Maybe you've heard of this particular uh, um, organization. They are very well known and uh, they are very credible for the work they do with children in poverty all over the world. And they invite you to sponsor children in order to get these children some sort of subsistence kind of living. And so we are going to have the opportunity to not only think locally this year, we're inviting you to take your resources, and I'm telling you now so you can be prepared next week about what God is asking you to do as we look at the need that is way too big, way too big. We're not going to be able to make a dent, but we can all do something. We can all do something. So come back next week and, and be aware of that because this we believe. We can all do something. So what is your start? What has Jesus given you in terms of a little snack lunch that doesn't feel like enough? What is God asking you to offer up even with your limited perspective? Because Andrew says, here are five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Here's the great part. You're not in charge of how far it goes. You're not in charge of that part. The multiplication is up to Jesus. You're just in charge of the start. That's what he wants. Jesus can do math better than you anyway. He can multiply whatever you give 
well beyond anything that you can anticipate. This morning, I believe that there is someone here who is feeling poor. Someone here who is feeling poor in spirit, and you know you need help. There's someone here who is feeling poor in health, and you know you need healing. And maybe you don't feel like you even have the faith for the healing that you need. Maybe you feel poor in economy, and you know that you just don't have the resources, and you're feeling like you're struggling. And Jesus is just saying, give me your start. Give me your start, and watch what I do with that. I'll do the multiplication. Just give me what you have, and then do the next thing. Listen to the next thing. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So it's a big crowd, and you add women and children. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. See, Jesus is saying to you, now that you have given to me what you have, thank God for the miracle that you don't see yet. Let's give him thanks. Let's give him thanks for this thing that doesn't feel like enough, this limited faith that I have that doesn't feel like enough for the healing that I'm asking, for this limited resources that I have, and I don't have enough faith that's really going to pay my utility bills at the end of the month. I don't even know. For uh, the, the bills that haven't been paid yet, for the healing that you don't feel yet, for the hope that you don't have yet, we're going to give thanks. We're going to give thanks to Jesus. And then sit down in this grassy place with all of these people that you have with you and wait on me. This is community. This is community. The vineyard is not only a green thing in real life, it is a grassy place. Not a grassy knoll, but a grassy place for us to sit down with other believers. Maybe people who have just as little faith as you, as little hope as you have as little resources as you have. And we're going to share. Those of us who have more faith, we're going to pour it out on those of you that are feeling low in faith. Those of us who are healthy, we're going to pour out the hope that we have for your healing when you don't feel like you're going to get that healing. For those of us that have resources, we're going to share with those that are in need in this place. We're going to do that. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, I love some of the, the passages in the other gospels say, when they were satisfied... He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Stay with that. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The leftovers of your not enough experience should not be wasted. The leftovers of whatever your not enough experience is should not be wasted. Do not let them fall to the ground. Gather up the broken pieces of your hunger, your loss, your fear, your experiences, and let your not enough be what you use to feed somebody else. Don't let that experience fall to the ground. And after Jesus saw the sign that Jesus, and after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, verse 14, they began to say, surely, this is a prophet who has come into the world. 
see the ultimate result of Jesus meeting their physical and immediate need was so they would see him. So they would recognize him. That's the purpose. It wasn't just to meet those needs. So this morning, what is God saying to you? Where's your start? Maybe you need to come forward this morning and just have somebody pray over you and say, God, I need to give you my not enough, and I don't think I've got enough to move forward. I don't have the faith that I want, and I want that increased. I don't have the hope that I need, and I want that increased. And I'm going to thank you right now for the miracle I don't see yet. And maybe you want somebody, someone to pray that over you this morning. Let's come to our feet. As we go into this last song, this is your opportunity. These people standing up here along the stage are people who are here to pray for you. And as you come forward for prayer, there are going to, more people will appear, I guarantee it. Folks, I know there are people in here that feel like they do not have enough of something and they're already coming. Whatever it is that you know you need expanded, that you know you need a miracle in, come up here and let God speak over you through the voices of these people.